Morning, food lovers, and hello, Summer. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And uh, uh, we're going to start out with considerations of summer dining. The first one, uh, Vanessa is going to tell us about how to eat cool. Um, we'll move on from there to Hancock Gourmet Lobster. And finally, we'll have a whole bunch of different women chefs and uh, food people talking to us about why they cook. So here we go. And we hope you, by the way, we hope you're having summer wherever you are. We we had summer until a few days ago. Yeah, no, now, no. now it's winter again. But, 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 but not to worry. It'll be with us, and I'm sure you'll be enjoying it too. So here's the, who's, who's up first. Vanessa is going to tell us Van- about Eat Cool. Vanessa Sader, huh? We're talking to Vanessa Sader. Is it Sader or Cedar, Vanessa? It's Cedar, like the tree. Cedar. Okay, and... Uh, the, the book is called Eat Cool, Good Food for Hot Days. And uh, I, it's, it's, you have interesting uh, information and recipes in this book. I was a little bit startled because I thought everybody lived in climate control. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Except us. We don't have air conditioning. We don't like yeah. air conditioning. Oh, um, yeah. But we... We live in an old house, so we, we don't have central AC or anything. Yeah, well, ours is 1860. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it can be hot. But yeah. um, the your introduction pretty much lays out all of your premises in, in, in the book. Um, so I thought that was we you should walk us through some of that. It tells sure. us, like, what exactly your purpose is. Um, and what are your criteria? Let's start with that. Uh, is it sure. delicious and enjoyable to eat? Tell us what some of the others are. Um, okay. Uh, let me look at the that introduction. So I went through a, some questions because I thought that was the best way of kind of um, organizing the book and, and trying to get across what, what the point of the book is actually about here. So it's a warm weather cookbook, and um, it's not your typical summertime cookbook. It's a little different. Um, So I've worked in the industry for about two decades and working more on the editorial side of things and in press kitchens. I used to live in New York City for many years. And um, my experience with summer stories, I noticed that a vast majority were geared more towards grilling barbecue, July 4th, typical fare, you know, potato salad, ribs, strawberry shortcake, (laughs) um, all that kind of stuff. And um, we moved to Maine. I live in Portland, Maine with my family, and we moved here in 2011. And one of the things that, that we were really happy about was a more mild summer in Maine. And... So that's something that. else I thought was funny because you don't have the same worries as if you lived well, in South Carolina. <laughs> right. Well, but we, you know, I, I grew up in California and we lived in, and I've lived in Boston and New York and it gets very humid there. But since we moved here, the summers have gotten progressively warmer and longer and just really uncomfortable. Same here. To the point where we, yeah, where we actually purchased a little, you know, uh, in-window air conditioner we pop in for those months. But uh-huh. so 
this book kind of came about, this idea came to me in the summer of 2018. I was working on some stories for people and prepping for some food styling jobs in my kitchen at home, and I had the oven on all day because you work mm. ahead of time. Um, and it was just so uncomfortable, and especially my husband. I mean, he just gets really uncomfortable in hot weather. <laughs> And at the end of the day, just organically, my body, my my family, none of us wanted to eat heavy food. We, you know, and, I, and then I started thinking about how, when it is really hot, what kind of foods do I crave, and what do I want to actually cook or not cook to keep mm-hmm. my body cool and to just keep our house cool. So that's kind of where this stemmed from. Okay. Um, so it's like a well, new, it's kind of a new way of thinking about summertime eating. I, I like the way you said a lot of your um, recipes come come from places that are actually tropical or at least hot. You know, the, yeah. the uh, Middle East and uh, like Italy, south of Italy and Spain. You know, and and it's true. But, you know, in the old days, what they used to do is serve everything at room temperature. So wonder we all didn't die of food poisoning. Right, right, of course. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, well, I mean, there are some recipes in here that kind of, there's ceviche and there's gravlocks and there's Yeah, there I saw the ceviche. That the cure and cook seafood and other types of forms. Um, but, yeah, I really believe that food brings us all together and we're all united in this world. And there's so many places that are just so hot and we can learn from how they eat. And I have a complete respect for all of that. Um, And so I'm really inspired by um, many countries all over the world and and their types of cooking and eating and their ingredients. And so that really comes into play here in this cookbook. And there there are a lot of really, really interesting recipes. It's not just like... um, fruit soup or something, you know. I mean, there's, you're, some of these recipes are really very interesting. And, and a lot of your, um, uh, your, your preferences are mine, too. Like, I think that there are all these overlooked things, such as tinned seafood, you know. Oh, I guess yeah. it's coming now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's become more popular, Um but if you go to places like Spain, you can get incredible tin seafood. You know, it's not. Yeah, I know. It's not just a one ninety nine bumblebee brand. <laughs> there's there's some incredible tin seafood options out there, and and uh, it's just I, I devote a couple pages to that. You know, creating a tin seafood plate of food when yeah. you're just so burnt out and you don't feel like doing much in the kitchen. You can make an incredible meal with. Um, you know, really good produce and tinned fish and some condiments, maybe some crackers on the side, and keep it uh-huh. really easy and simple when it's really hot and you just don't feel like putting a lot of effort in. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you agree with my uncle always said um, that you should drink hot things um, in the heat of the summer, and you sort of tend to agree with that. You have a, um, yeah. a whole a section, a little essay on, like, spicy, and, and you bring in some science into that. Can you mention yeah. some of that? Yeah, of course. Um, well, there's different schools of thought. Um, so 
on the one hand, there is, you know, just eating uh, very cooling things. Like, I think what comes to mind for most people is ice cream, right, on a hot day. But ice cream, in fact, is harder to digest than other things, like fruits and vegetables or, you know, whole grains. Um, So basically the whole idea is when it's it's really hot out, I say – to eat sparingly. I'm not saying omit these things because you, you want to enjoy your food and life and everything. But um, to kind of eat sparingly, fattier protein, sugar, alcohol, those things are harder to digest and they take mm-hmm. more energy. So they're en- they'll end up heating your body more than fruits and vegetables and whole grains and lean protein. Um, but then on the other side, on the flip side of that, I also, um, I, I looked at, different cultures, like in Africa, Mexico, Asia, um, I don't know, Southeast Asia, Central America, South America, India, Southern United States, Caribbean, all these places, they incorporate lots of hot and spicy foods and beverages into yeah. the regular diet. And they do yeah, drink But you indicate there are a number of reasons for that. The one I liked yeah. most was it, it, it camouflages something's gone bad. Right, that's what, right, that's what the theory back when, right? When they did, like you were saying, you know, if you don't have, back then, if you didn't have the refrigeration, <laughs> you know, the spices, the camouflage. But really, it has to do, the science comes into the, it's called the TRPV1 receptor. Um, and so it's special protein structures that are called receptors in our mouths, and they exchange signals with our nervous system. So, okay, so the TRPV1 receptor is designed to detect food that's hot and or spicy. Um, and when a hot or spicy food is eaten, that's when it's triggered. So the TRPV1, sounds like a robot, I know, but the TRPV1 yeah. receptor, um, it cues our nervous system to transmit a signal to our brain, and it's the hypothalamus. And that's our brain's thermostat, and that triggers our cooling off process in our body. Sweat. Which is sweat. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So the sweat begins, and uh, it starts cooling off our bodies. And I think ideally, if you're like in a hot, dry climate, that cools you off more than a humid one. But you still get the effects of the sweating, even if you're in mm-hmm. humidity, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so according to that school of thought, um, it cools your body down, whereas maybe a cold food like the ice cream, maybe you get that instant um, effect where it cools your body down, but it's more temporary because um, once the digestion starts and your body starts working harder to, to yeah. process and digest the food, that's when you start heating up. That sort of reminds me of, you know, like people who are outdoors, in the dead of winter watching football games and they think the alcohol is going to warm them up. <laughs> now, it will dilate, dilate your, uh, your veins and whatnot or arteries initially, yeah. but then it constricts them so you end up colder. Right. Well, I want to know who these people are because that's a funny <laughs> visual I'm getting in my head. Yeah. People watching football hey. outside in the snow. <laughs> but, here's, a yeah. piece, here's a funny piece of unrelated trivia. On the third hour of today, this morning, 
Yeah. They 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 had a feature on Jenny's ice cream promoted by who's the who's the who's the who's the skinny country singer. <laughs> you, know, you know the one I mean. And yeah, there are a lot of now. I can't help you out there. Taylor, Taylor Swift. A Taylor, oh, Taylor, Swift. Right. Taylor Swift. So they were they were playing Taylor Swift's new album and eating ice cream. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the punchline here. <laughs> that's that's it. That's all. The, that's all she wrote. Okay. <laughs> Back to the book. <laughs> Now you you organize this book by way of um, dining um, food segments, you know, breakfast, snacks, um, so forth. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, it also you include sort of peripheral material. Like I agree with you, the perfect hot weather food would be um, oysters, except you're. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to actually have them in months that don't have the um, the R in it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because they develop fat, but anyhow. Um, but you have directions on how to shuck an oyster. Um, yes. You have a, a, a whole thing on just all these little, I, I view them as um, lanyap, you know, like in New Orleans, extra boons. Like um, you said... Um, let's see, you, you have sections on um, what to drink. Um, yes. That's, that's yes, very that's like a, yeah. yeah, like a summer wine pairing guide. Right. And, yeah. and also a whole thing on shrubs, which is, you yeah. know, they're really trendy now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, they've, I think they've been for a bit, for a while. I think yeah. I absolutely love them because I like the concept of you of making this concentrate and then having a bottle around and then just using a little bit, um, get it, grabbing it from the fridge and then just pouring it over seltzer water or um, even a, a sparkling wine of sorts. Or um, I, yeah, I just think they're delightful. I like the sweet and tangy combination, and I think it really kind of is refreshing when it's really hot out. And one of the things I like about your book is uh, you can tell that you're not trying to be all-inclusive of anything. You have um, sort of a, a roving interest <laughs> in things. Like, explain this multicolored raw energy bite. <laughs> I found that the most yeah. arresting recipe. <laughs> well, I mean, I, okay, well, I love them. I think they're delicious. And um, we here in Maine, uh, we're, we're outside as much as we possibly can. Uh, we love to hike and go to the beach and just be out in nature. And we also have an eight-year-old, and she has lots of friends. And, um, you know, before the pandemic, we'd get together with larger groups and go hiking and things. And, um, and kids are just always hungry and if you don't feed them at the right time you know what happens right (laughs) (laughs) yes I I do I was yeah exactly we all do so um and I was forewarned before having our daughter you know always make sure to have food (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) right so um, this, this actually 
this recipe I developed a long time ago, and I just included it in, in the book because it's a no-cook um, little treat you can bring with you. It's very portable. I think it's great for after a workout, like if you've been running or anything active. Um, you can just put them in a little container, and they're just these little energy bites um, that um, are colored with natural coloring. So you pulverize. Um, freeze-dried strawberries or raspberries, blueberry, freeze-dried mango. Um, and I mix the mango with like a little tiny bit of turmeric, not for flavor, but just for the color. Uh-huh. And then also spirulina powder. And then the actual ingredients, it's just rolled oats, oat bran, almond flour, flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, um, almond butter, honey, and vanilla extract and sea salt. It's really simple to make. Um, you just make them in your food processor and roll them into balls. And it's really fun for kids to make these too, right? Cause yeah, you said your daughter, who's a, your daughter, uh, when you were writing the book, she was five and she yeah. was a picky eater. And I, I smiled because <laughs> our granddaughter was a picky eater. I used to be ready to strangle her. <laughs> but then oh, there's, uh, Ruth Reichel's uh, uh, son would only eat white things for years. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I totally relate to that, you know, and then yeah. you have to get creative. I actually, I don't know if you noticed it, but I, one of the first recipes in the book is my mock vanilla milkshake. Exactly. <laughs> Which is Which what is, made me think immediately of Ruth's son. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. until he discovered the sushi, because that was good, because he could get white sushi. <laughs> Right. Well, she. You know what? It's funny. She's. She doesn't just love white things anymore. She's just very specific. So, we went through a phase. We go through phases. Yeah. And during the pandemic. Yeah. And during the pandemic, all she wanted was omelet, pickles, and kiwi for like <laughs> four months. That sounds good to me. I yeah. But it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just very specific. And yeah. he does love sushi. I make sushi a lot at home and um and but she likes the um just the cucumber and avocado, you know, no fish or anything. Mm-hmm. She's a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah, it's, you know, it's she, not surprising when you have a huge salad uh, chapter. Very, very interesting um salads. I mean not your usual salad. And in fact you, you told me something that I'm doing wrong with my panzanella. I don't let the bread sit with the tomatoes, the juicy tomatoes, long enough. Well, I mean, if you think about where it originated, they were using that stale bread, you know, the Italian country bread, and it gets so hard, it gets so firm. So, and all those juices from the ripe summer tomatoes, they soften the bread, and so that's you got to wait, and then you get the really good effect of the panzanella. And I, in mine, I was, I grilled, I grilled it. And a lot of these recipes, I should mention, um, part of this book, it, um, part of like, well, what does it mean to eat cool? So it kind of it, it's cooking in ways that reduce oven and stovetop use, and even grill time. So I was really conscious about that in terms of developing the recipes for this book. Um, the panzanella in my book is a grilled sourdough panzanella, but it really doesn't take much long um, okay. on the grill or grill pan to, to cook the bread. Um, 
and and that kind of goes into cuts of meat um, that I've chosen for the book. You know, I do have some recipes. It's kind of more of a plant-based, plant-forward um, cookbook, but there are recipes that have meat, fish, poultry, um, different proteins. And so I, I purposely chose cuts of, of meat that don't take very long to cook so that right. you don't have to keep your stovetop on or oven or um, grill. Well, I mean, I can't tell you, you get, listeners, not only really interesting um, recipes, um, not your usual run-in-the-mill recipes, like I said, but you get all these little side essays and sections like on how to freeze fruit. I mean, why not freeze fruit? I mean, people well, don't hey, do it. I do it every year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something we do definitely here in Maine because... We're, we are so lucky that in, in the summer, we go berry picking. We, go, we pick peaches. We pick strawberries and blueberries and peas and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And um, we pick a ton of them, and then we just freeze them. But I find that um, I teach, too, so I, I get questions. So I kind of uh, keep a memory bank of, like, the questions that people ask that I can include in my book to educate because that's the most important thing to me is for uh, to educate people. So a lot of people don't don't freeze fruit right and they just shove it in a bag and then it just kind of freezes all together in a clump. Yeah. So uh, going back to test kitchen days, you know, yeah. all those things matter and, and just how to freeze fruit correctly and um, and so in the winter it's great because I can make fruit crisp and um, fruit cake, you know, all sorts of things, jams with our fresh summer fruit. And yeah, well, you said that the one thing that the, the frozen fruit couldn't be is like used as it, as it is, you know, like used for, yeah. for a substitute for fresh fruit. But ask Peter, I mean, I, he has fruit every morning, uh, not yeah. canned, but frozen. I freeze blueberries in season, cherries. I pit them and freeze them. Um, we have ground cherries out in our garden. I freeze those. All these things freeze very well. And then I, I put them. I mix them into a bowl the night before, and by breakfast they're thawed and, and they're good, rabbit, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're totally good as is. They just change their, their texture changes, right? So they get all that. Well, the blueberries aren't. I mean, you've, you, you, like you described, you put them on a sheet, and you, mm-hmm. you don't put them close together. You have them rinsed but dried, and you do once they're frozen, then you put them in a freezer bag. And by, yeah. by, by 7 o'clock in the morning, they're, they're thawed, and they're, so, the, so they're soft on the outside. Yeah. But they're not mushy. They're not mushy. No, no. They, yeah. It's just, the, just the right amount of time. Now, do you, do you, do you have anything in the book about fro- frozen cider? Frozen cider? We, 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 we had a couple of people we interviewed who collect, put, put their leftover apples outside in big vats. Oh, yeah. And, the, and then they... The, they let, they let the freezer freeze the apples, and then you, get the juice, then you get the juice left over. 
And you can, oh, and then and you can serve it like wine. Oh, so it ferments outside. It in the. Well, well, no. Or, what 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 happens is the freezing frees up the liquid, so if you like uh-huh. the juice, the juice comes out, and you have the juice, and then you take that juice and you make it like wine. Oh, fabulous! I love that. That's such it's a big, good idea. Big, I might have to try that this fall. It's big winter. in Vermont and it's big in, in the Canadian across the Canadian border. Oh, and there's, there's I'll, I'll definitely have to try that. There's yeah, what is it there's called? A which, there's a name for it which I forget. I can't remember oh. either. Oh, ice cider. They call it ice cider. I'm sorry, what was that? High cider? Ice. I, ice. ice. Oh, ice cider. Ice cider. Okay. One of the people we interviewed said they actually had had their ice cider wine served at the White House. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's really interesting. I love that. But, but well, it's, it's using... The natural climatic effect of the fact that it's bloody cold yeah. in Vermont in the winter time. So, so yeah. you harness you harness it to get the to get the juice out of the apples. Oh, that's fabulous! I I think um, we'll have to try that when we get to that point of the year because um, we always go apple picking too, and we always have a huge amount. <laughs> sure, yeah. So we have an thing. Asian pear tree in the backyard. Uh. And it, and yeah, and and I mean, we last year we had a cold snap, and it, uh, just when it was budding, we didn't get any. Usually, we get hundreds of, of uh, Asian pears <laughs> after freezing. What else we do with them? I gave some to um, a restaurateur who has a um, has a huge smoker, one of those big. You know Texas style smokers, yeah. and I, in the middle of the night, I I thought of a um, cocktail involving smoked Asian pears. <laughs> oh, and, yeah! Wow. And, and I gave him a bunch, and his his bartender made made well, a wonderful cocktail. He wants. Oh, he wants more. I'd love to try that. That sounds he, delicious. Yeah. Jesse's Jess, already agitating, saying, "Where are my Asian pears?" Yeah, he wants more Asian pears. <laughs> So anyhow, well, um, I'm just—I just want everybody to know that um, you get your money's worth with this book. You can learn how to make infused ice cubes, and um, uh, the the wine list. Did you like the wine picks, Rabbit? I, I thought they were—I thought they were very interesting. There, about half of them are sparklers, which makes mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of sense. And then, and then you've got grapes, which are. Curiously enough, on the on the edge of sweet, but, but yeah, not sweet. And, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole range. There's a whole range. A, a, lot, a lot of a lot of them are Italian. Yeah, I um, I spoke with some experts. Actually, I went to Brown Trading, um, and I spoke to this wonderful man there, and he was um, in charge of the wine section, and and we we spoke for a very long time about it, and um, and I I did a bunch of uh, tastings during the summer of the different wines, and I paired them with the different foods. So these are just my recommendations. Um, but there's there's a ton of wine out there. So oh, these there are is, the ones indeed. that I found tasted well, really the, nice. The, the answer is the not food. to be nervous about the fact that a, a, lot, a lot of these wines do, do have an edge of sweetness. But, but, yeah. but, with, but, with, but with the right combination of other ingredients... Especially herbs and spices, you, mm-hmm. you have something that's also very attractive in the mouth. Mm-hmm. 
as what they, right. what they call mouthfeel, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's, there's much to love about this book of yours, Vanessa Cedar. Um, it, again, listeners, it's called Eat Cool, Good Food for Hot Days. And it's going to open so many little uh, avenues for you to meander down and try. I'm going to also make my own ricotta soon. And uh, I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to try your preserved lemon, uh, your lemon pickles recipe because mine takes too long. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's why I made them so that you could make them and they don't take months to make. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a quick version. Um, yeah. And, and, and everybody you... doesn't feel embarrassed about you using the supermarket rotisserie chicken because she uses it too and I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, especially, I must say, with COVID cooking, um, I don't know what everyone's doing, but I know in my immediate area, we're, I mean, we're mostly, we just mostly eat at home. Um, we've done, once in a while, we'll take, do takeout from some restaurants that we really want to support and, and um, we trust. Um, yeah. But I know, like everybody else, we get cooking burnout. We do. Yeah. And so there's ways to just kind of cut corners but still eat very well and and healthy and uh have delicious meals that you can make at home and not have to have such a mess in the kitchen or just have to cook so much it's just really helpful so i included that in the book too well thank you so much for talking to us and listeners remember be cool, stay cool, eat cool. <laughs> and there we go. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, well, thank Vanessa. you so much for having me. I, I really uh-huh. enjoyed being on your show. <laughs> thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Back. Um, our next discussion is going to be with um, a, a company, actually, that we've talked to before, which has now a new executive director, Amber Jean Nickel. And it is an established company with quality products and called the Hancock Gourmet Lobster Company. And guess, guess where you should buy your lobster dinner for summer? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can get the whole thing. And they send it to you, and you just put it together, boil it up, and there you have it. There you have it. You can have you can have mac and cheese in less than five minutes. Yes. So, so it, this is this was quite a finding. We actually found them once before, but we were so glad to find them again. And they, they have won. Well, listen in the discussion, you will find out that they have won. All manner of, of um, wonderful uh, prizes. prizes and competitions and so forth. And um, she's going to talk to us about the awards that they won. Yes, Amber Jean Nickel. Um, we we interviewed your predecessor, who was, I guess, the following um, family, Hancock, um, Cal, and she's retired, and you took over, and you've been in this job for, what, a year? 
Yes, as CEO. So she left last year, um, and we worked together for many, many years before that. Right. And the company we're talking about, listeners, is Hancock Gourmet Lobster, which is wonderful. Um, I think I emailed you my thoughts on, on Maine in general, that we seem to really interview a lot of people from Maine. We have a lot of Maine connections. It's a great place to eat, isn't it? It really is. There's so much variety and such a good contrast of seafood, even just along our coast. So it's super fun to eat your way through the state. So uh, the uh, Cal, the, the person we interviewed a long time ago, it was his Nana that, that uh, started this, right? Yeah. So um, her family started a restaurant in southern Maine, um, and she was there for years growing up, um, you know, serving all the different visitors. And then herself, when she left to go be an adult outside of Maine, went to school and, and her career took her in other states, realized that a lot of people didn't feel comfortable with live lobsters or the process of cooking them and then creating dishes after yeah. the fact. It's a lot of work. Um, yeah. So that was the whole goal when she came back to Maine to be closer to her family was to make Maine lobster accessible and, and super easy for people who didn't feel comfortable with it. Yeah, well, you know, the the, the thing that, I mean, I spent a lot of time on, on, on the water, I mean, on the shore, and so you get used to um, eating lobster and cooking it. Um, Though they they had that um, gourmet magazine article um, by uh, who is it? He died now. He killed himself, I think. Uh, on consider the lobster, and so the last lobster I had, which was from um, uh, Luke's Lobster in Maine, I I, ha- I hesitated about plunging the lobsters into the water. <laughs> <laughs> she did it but anyway. She was. Very I did brave. it anyway. <laughs> I <better> believe. <laughs> Well, now, um, so did this start out, Hancock Gourmet Lobster, did it start out as like a brick-and-mortar restaurant? It did not. So from the beginning, more than 20 years ago, we were e-commerce. So, um, you know, all of the food is made here frozen by hand or um, fresh by hand, um, and then we freeze it. So our culinary team is still a small team that does everything in small batches so that it tastes homemade and we can preserve that quality. But then we freeze it, and then we can ship it across the country. And so it started with just our website and um, one customer who was selling things online too, um, to now we ship nationally um, we are in wholesale. We have our website for just consumers to order through. So it's really grown quite a, a bit. Um, but it's all still mostly just e-commerce. There's no restaurant. We often get calls where people want to come and sit and eat, um, and that's just not what we do. There's a lot of really great restaurants, and so we make it so that they can take the food and take it with them to their camp or, you know, the house that they're renting on the water, or we'll just ship it to them when they get home and they are craving more lobster meat. <laughs> right. There's, there's nothing better than, than a lot. And you know what I like about your company is you make an effort an extra effort uh, to do sustainability, and you have done even before sustainability was a subject, a topic of uh, discussion around food. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main lobster industry specifically is really focused on 
you know, the water and the sustainability of the industry as a whole. And then for us, it's just really important to continue that. Um, and we look at that based on all of our other ingredients too, just using some really great all-natural ingredients so that when you look at our label, you know you're eating really pure food so that the taste itself, you can tell, is, is just authentic Maine. Um, we don't try to cover up any of the other flavors because you really want to taste that lobster in there and you want to taste the rich creams and butters that come from our state. Yeah, well, I mean, it, we had the uh, lobster mac and cheese a couple nights ago, and um, it was packed with lobster, actually. Now it's that, one that, of our that, most popular. Now, that mac and cheese, is that, does that grow in the rivers in Maine? or Does it go where? Does it grow in the rivers of Maine? <laughs> the mac and cheese is literally like we can't keep it in stock. Everybody loves it. And what's really great on our casseroles, we have the um, texture contrast. That topping on there is something we make here. It's our um, panko breadcrumb, but we season it and get it really nice and crispy. So you have that creamy mac and cheese that everybody loves, but that texture on top is almost like when grandmother would make the mac and cheese and the edges would be really crispy and everybody always wanted an edge piece. That's why oh, we yeah, have the right. topping on yeah, there. Yeah, well, it's I, always I, got that good crunch. I got, I got the second and third pieces. So I got the crunchy exterior. And, and <laughs> didn't, she, she didn't sign up for that. I went on to, I dug out the lobster chunks. <laughs> um, that's, that's, well, I love. Um, it, we we um, we know you know Melissa Kelly, mm-hmm. the, the chef. Anyhow, um, yeah. um, a chef that worked for her uh, in Maine, and then worked for her in another restaurant in, in Florida. Um, this chef friend of ours just moved back to Maine, and she sends these absolutely incredible um, Instagram photos of just the surroundings in Maine are inspiring. It's beautiful. Absolutely. I know it's funny, too, we hear a lot of customers when they call in to place orders or, you know, talk to our customer care team. They're always also talking about just the landscape. And, you know, vacationing here, there's always a memory of something on the coast, but it's always in connection to food. Like, they go hand in hand. So you you never have one without the other when you're visiting Maine. You know, we've been there. We like the outer islands. Oh, good. Do you, um, where are your favorite places when you go up the coast? Oh, I don't know. Do I you remember, remember the I can't names? remember the name of the place we went. Yeah, it was a, this wonderful. It was also a family in a resort on one island we went to. If you go all the way through oh, OTM lovely. and pictures on our website, you'll, you'll, find, you'll find Anne with the proprietor of a... Uh, the rental house on, on one of on one of the uh, arms of the bay off Providence. Oh. Oh, and lovely. of course, we were all over Melissa Cully's property too, which is wonderful. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Uh, the, the, what got our attention, by the way, is that you won a, a, a Specialty Food Association, Sophie, which is called the Oscars of the Food World, um, this year. Uh, you got a silver, but I did. 
I read on your website you've gotten 11 gold selfies, so it was not, nothing new to you. I know, but it's always so exciting. Um, yeah, this year we actually had a gold and a silver. Um, so the gold award winner was for the main shore dinner, which is a bake in a bag. So we put all of the ingredients right in the foil bag and seal it up. So all that our customers need to do is just cook it. And then when they open it up, the lobster tails are in there. There's scallops and shrimp and corn. Oh, yeah, I feel like it was some of that. Yeah, I'll have to go online and order one of those because I'd love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's one of those things where you want to bake, but you don't want to do all the fussy stuff. So it comes yeah, all together. Yeah, and that one actually won another gold this year, too. So after we found out about the gold and the silver, we got another gold for product of the year, and it was the main show Oh, that's, that's right. I did, I did send you a congratulations on that. Yeah, that's a biggie. I mean, especially there were so many entries this year. How many were there? There were over 1,500. Yeah, and so you, out of the whole country, out of 1,500 entries into this um, Specialty Food Association award called the Sophie's, um, you won the best product overall. overall. And that was your lobster yeah. dinner, wasn't it? Yep, that Main Shore dinner is what won that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would have been, so that was our 13th gold award so that was pretty exciting oh so i'm so my on your website it says 11 so we're out you're out of date there you got to i know it's all happening (laughs) (laughs) trying to update all the places (laughs) it's just happening now so it's really exciting no just for the record um you sell uh lobsters um you sell uh, lobster dinners you sell appetizers with lobsters a uh, soup. Um, what what else do you do? Um, so we don't the, do live lobsters. Um, for us, we are what we call value add. So we take you know the mac and cheese or risotto and add that value of of the lobster to it, so that you don't have to to do the the cooking and preparation. Uh-huh. Um, so a couple of the favorites are those bakes. Um, like the Main Shore Dinner, the mac and cheese, lobster risotto, which is great. It's one of my favorites because risotto in itself takes so long to to prepare, um, let alone a lobster risotto. Um, And lobster pot pie comes in a ceramic ramekin with a sherry cream sauce and the lobster meat. So it's just perfect for entrees and entertaining. Okay. Um, Yeah. Um, You know, with Amber Jean, um, there's so much more to talk about, um, including future directions, and and I wanted to find out about the pandemic. Um, We're having some technical problems that we we need to keep um, alert to. Um, Quickly, did you see an upsurge in ordering during the pandemic? We did, absolutely. Um, and it was a mix between people who were in quarantine and were just looking to the Internet to order their food because it was a little bit safer than going out. Um, yeah. And then it was also a lot of, you know, it goes back to food and experiences always go hand in hand. And there were a lot of people who couldn't travel or they were missing big events in each other's lives. So it was really heartwarming. They were sending food with the most amazing gift messages about support and, you know, even if we weren't together, we were still together and food always brought us closer 
um, for those events. So we, we definitely saw a mix of all of that. Um, and then just in general, I think people are more comfortable about ordering food online. So there are some people who maybe had never ordered in their life, um, and now they, they took a chance and, and tried us out. Well, you're a great spokesperson for, again, uh, listeners, it's, you look it up, um, uh, Hancock Gourmet Lobster online, and, and you'll be tempted, and, and you should. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we'll talk again soon. So for our final segment, we have one of the most readable and interesting books I've seen in a long time, Great for Beach Great for poolside, fitting the summer theme. Uh, we're going to talk to Lindsay Gardner about her book, Why We Cook. And by the way, she has wonderful pictures too. She has fabulous artwork. That's a good one with it. Yeah, well, uh, Lindsay Gardner, you, you have so many talents, I don't know where to start. Uh, we're <laughs> talking okay. about why we cook. Uh, women on food, identity, and connection. Um, and you you did all the illustrations, and they are wonderful. So, um, Thank and you, you are are you primarily an artist or a a, a, a food person or a um, what what hat, you wear so many hats? Which one are we going to call on? <laughs> um. Thank you for that question. I am primarily an artist and I'm not con- uh, part of the culinary world, um, though I feel like I have become um, hopefully a friend of the culinary community um, through this project. Um, but no, when I first started researching and writing Why We Cook, um, I really was sort of an outsider to that community of people. Oh, they're wonderful people. <laughs> I told you, I, mean, I know <laughs> most of them in the book and, uh, or have interviewed them. Um, and, you know, and it's a wonderful group of people. How did you go about selecting who you were going to uh, talk to? You know, it was really um, a pretty organic experience. I, at the time, lived, uh, until recently, I lived in the Bay Area, and as you know, the Bay Area is just such a um, such a, a mecca of food-focused people and creative people. Um, I was lucky to have within my sort of circles of friends a couple of people who were able to introduce me to professional women chefs working um, in the area, and then I also had the opportunity to attend a great event at La Cocina in San Francisco that um, uh, I'm sure, as you know, uh, is an organization that supports low-income and immigrant women food entrepreneurs. Um, And so I got to see uh, a few of the people who are actually now included in the book speak at one of their events. Um, And really... uh, I also just did a whole lot of cold cold calling and emailing, um, reaching out to women food writers, activists, restaurateurs, chefs, um, who I had read about or um, heard about. And so it was really a combination of sort of um, one person introducing me to the next and then my own research. 
Well, of course, I mean, it's such a wonderful community and very welcoming. Uh, I'm sure that that, that was probably I mean, the difference between uh, interacting with the wonderful female chefs as opposed to some of the uh, male chefs. It's like light years apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't have experience with that. I only um, have, this is my only culinary focused project in my life so far. So, um, but my, yes, my experience reaching out to uh, the women in the book, <coughs> excuse me, was completely welcoming. And um, every person that I talked to couldn't have been more generous and more yes. enthused. Um, it was such a fulfilling experience and especially working on it through um, the last year. But, oh my gosh, excuse me, I'm having a cough. A cough. Oh dear. Um, cough is okay, we can edit it out. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> that has not happened to me before in this situation. Um, sorry about that. You can, we can edit you know, that out, don't worry about it. Okay. It goes, al- goes along with the phrase, it's not. It's not the coffin that carries you off. It's the, cof- it's the coffin they carry you off in. <laughs> in- English um, humor, just in case you were wondering where it came from. I love it. Uh, what I was saying is that especially through the last few years of our political environment, um, and when I started the book in 2000, I started the, the research process in 2018. We, we were two years into the Trump administration. Um, and then, of course, working through the pandemic and also um, the racial justice uprising of 2020, um, all of these things were happening in the backdrop uh, yeah. as I was working on the book and being in communication and in conversation with the women in the, in the book throughout all of that time was extremely um, comforting and connected to the moment. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, the, the best group of, um, of, I guess, food people or the best was, um, we had a fabulous group of women chefs and restaurateurs in the early days of the organization. And uh, it was just absolutely the highlight of, of my experience in the food world. It was wonderful. And, they were, and they're even, they were even nice to the guys. They were nice to Peter. Was <laughs> the other there. No, uh, and it's I a, actually it's a, I think that... It's really um, interesting to be in a, a room full of people who are all female. Especially in this in this industry, I think. Um, oh yeah. And well, and Joyce Goldstein, who is one of the contributors, she's um, a good friend. <laughs> was, yeah, right. and she and she was uh, she was a big part of women chefs and restaurateurs. Oh yes, she was wonderful. She was mm-hmm. one of the founders. She and Lydia right. Bastianich and. Um, Oh, what's her name? Actually, she's dead now. Um, who did the tour to China? I mean, it's just one after another. Um, but anyhow, so you have you had a fertile um, field of talent and um, thoughtful talent to work with, and I mean, the overall answer seems to always come down to your question: Why we cook? For, and, it, all these different women it has to do with uh, connection, um, 
identity, um, making people happy, and so forth and so on. But you approach that in a number of different ways. Let's talk about uh, the segments of your book. You have you cover so much ground. You have memorable meals, kitchen portraits, essays. Tell us a little bit about each of these things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was really important to me to um, think of the book as a conversation and so that I, I wanted someone to be able to pick it up and open it to any page and have a place to to enter it and access it. So um, it was important to me to include a, a great variety of types of content. So as you said, there are illustrated recipes, essays, profiles, um, a series of memorable meals, which are like short essays, um, as well as a series of kitchen profiles. Uh, and then yeah, also, what was that? that um, tell us what kitchen portraits is. Yeah, so it uh, kitchen. Portraits I love the women are, in the are, segment. That I, I, <laughs> Renee Erickson, I love her. Dory Greenspan, Barbara Lynch, uh, Joyce. Um, who else is there? Deborah Madison. Uh, they're they're all people that are just so thoughtful and and contribute so much. Yes. Um, so I thought it was really interesting because, as you just pointed out, uh, some of those women that you listed are some of the more well-known voices in the book. And it was really important to me um, and interesting to me to think about what picturing them, illustrating them in the place that feels like where all the magic happens for them. Um, so it's not something I have seen a lot of um, in terms of seeing these people in their sort of favorite place, which I imagine to be the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to include that series. And so there are, um, you know, basically it's like a, an illustrated portrait of each woman in her kitchen with a little bit, a little short profile about each one. Um, and it was really fun to make those portraits. Uh, I feel like getting to know them through researching them and um, in a few cases, like, with Carla Hall, I, I actually had the opportunity to interview her, and that helped me imbue so much of uh, each person's personality into their portrait. And I, I did, I had the chance to visit um, Joyce Goldstein in her home and interview her, and so really felt like um, sort of, uh, I don't know, illustrating that friendship also. Yeah, well, you did a nice little portrait of her. It's cute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, no, you, you also uh, hit uh, um, people that I don't know, home cooks and conversation, um, but you framed interesting questions that they would address in short replies. Um, the way mm-hmm. I have it here is like, um, what is your most treasured kitchen objects? Um, and what season makes you excited to cook? And when do you cook when you're exhausted? I mean, these are wonderful questions. Thank you. Um, you know, as I said, I'm not I'm not part of the culinary world, and my uh, approach to this topic is from the standpoint of a home cook. Um, and it was really important, and at the root of my own inspiration for making the book, to sort of 
incorporate the real voices of women home cooks because as I um, discovered through my survey, uh, over, I think it's about 90% of the women I surveyed um, do the majority of cooking in their homes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's still, you know, predominantly women are doing the cooking in the domestic space. And um, at least from my own experience and talking with my uh, peers, I know that that's not a straightforward relationship. Like, we don't always want to be cooking. And that's, even if we love to cook, <laughs> it's okay to not love cooking all the time um, or even part of the time, you know. And I, I really wanted to talk to women about how they feel about it and what it looks like in their day-to-day lives. Um, so that's where those questions came from. And uh, I, I could have picked, I think I had almost 400 people um, take that survey, and there were so many compelling and interesting answers um, and honest answers, and I thought that that was really important to include. Yeah, we, and they're not just American, let's point out that. I mean, there is, True, you know. yeah, mm-hmm. So um, Yeah, we had some people reply from internationally, and um, there are a few international contribu- uh, professional uh, women chef contributors as well, Anna Ross. Uh, and, yeah, Anna. Um, we've interviewed her before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and where were we when we, the last time we interviewed her? But anyhow, um, she's, she's very interesting. I mean, to come out of yeah. Slovenia. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, her work is really, truly um, well, intricate and amazing. It's, you know, they, their backstories are so interesting also because um, they've had to deal with so many issues. Um, I, I love this. Uh, one of my favorite people is Amanda Cohen, and, you know, and I loved her essay called The Invisible yes. Women. You know, I mean, it's not a new issue for me, but uh, she really made some really head-on points, didn't she? She sure did. And um, and I love that she wrote, so she wrote about um, how important the media and uh, coverage of women chefs is and becomes in terms of... Um, leadership opportunities and uh, investment and all kinds of issues that are related to that. And I love that she wrote about that um, and also about really remembering the women that have uh, paved the way. Yes. Well, I mean, there's so many of them and, and half of them you never hear of. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's true. I mean, it's, uh, I'm actually, this is a terrible period we're going through, um, but part of me is happy that we're going to reset um, this aspect of the celebrity chef, that we're all white males. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a little... about that also, yeah. <laughs> it really um, it got to be boring after a certain point, and the egos are just uh, enormous. Um, so bad that actually um, a, a chef friend of mine, male actually, um, he agreed to be on the board of one of the cooking competitions. And um, 
he said it was the worst thing he ever did because he had to have all these uh, students or, uh, or or startup chess. And mainly, what they all wanted to do was be on television. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is an interesting thing, you know, how media has changed and um, social media and how that has impacted uh, our relationship to understanding who people in this industry are and how they operate. I mean, I think, you know, that's a whole other conversation we could have. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, no, who was it you were interviewing? Uh, I remember... Oh, what's her name? Um, anyhow, but she got the world's best chef. This is not Anna. It's um, Dominique Crenn. And mm-hmm. her restaurant did not make it into the top 100 that year. <laughs> we yes. used to cover the, the yeah. uh, world's 50 right. best restaurants. And it was so predictable. You know? <laughs> it's like, right. Right. Yeah, you got to... You got to keep women in their place, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> woman's place is in the kitchen. Um, the, the, one, the one you remember most, although you conveniently forget, is the lady from Croatia. If you remember, Croatia. We, she, she, she was best female chef in in Melbourne, sweetheart. If you remember, you're thinking of. Um, Anna Rose, and she's from Slovenia. Slovenia, okay. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. Anyway, she 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 was bound and determined to show the women were best. Uh huh. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. Well, she she's included it here too. Um, let's not forget to include that you have an addition to talking about issues. Um in talking about backgrounds and, and lifestyle, you actually have recipes. <laughs> yes, there are 11 that. recipes. <laughs> yeah, there are 11 <laughs> recipes in the book. Um, and uh, I loved working with the contributors on uh, figuring out how they were and what they were going to include. Um, some of my favorites are uh, by, I mean, they're all wonderful Um I loved learning about Ashley Shanti's work. Uh, she's a chef in North Carolina um, who's actively working on restoring West African uh, and um, foodways of Appalachia. Um, so she has a recipe for cabbage and wild mushroom pancake with like, yeah, salt. That. <laughs> That's yeah. right up my alley. <laughs> but, uh, right, and she, so that's a great one. Um, there's also Hillel Echo Hawk, who has included a recipe for um, buffalo and sage meatballs. She's an indigenous chef from Seattle. Um, it's a really nice range of different kinds of recipes. There's one sweet, a couple sweet recipes um, from Mimi Mendoza and Elizabeth Binder. Um, so, yeah, there's a nice full range. Yeah, I mean, you you really have a whole um, resource on diversity in this book. Was one of the things that I I thought about. Um, it was a big goal of mine from the beginning um, to be uh, as inclusive as as I possibly could, because I really wanted to hear, you know, from as many different voices uh, as possible, and not just the ones that 
have you know received coverage and um, are well-known names, but also some of the lesser-known names who are uh, just starting out. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, let's talk a little bit about your artwork. Did you find sure. it very inspirational to be drawing these things or illustrating these things? Of course, your portraits are wonderful. Oh, thank you. And I know you're a painter also, aren't you? Am I what? She's a, I thought she's you were also a painter. a painter. I'm sorry. You are a painter. Oh. Oh, I was I was a painter. I, <laughs> she was I, was a painter. I read that you were a painter. Yes. Um, um, I actually, I, that was my, um, my graduate degree was in art history with related field with painting. You're right. Yeah, we, are, we are fake so, designs and all, all, all kinds of fine artists. <laughs> lost, our walls are crowded. That's a great thing. I'm looking, I'm looking here. Okay, let's say Rosia Sanchez, very famous mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, chef. That is absolutely wonderful, this, um, what it's called, paleta. Uh, it's like a popsicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a popsicle with, with flowers coming off. So it's, it's beautiful, a little kind of sun symbol on the stick. So, I mean, it was, um, yeah, kind of to rewind a little bit, uh, it was a huge part of my inspiration from the beginning of this project um, because at, at, in the early phases, I was really thinking a lot about um, the crossovers between my creative impulse as an artist and cooking. And, um, of course, all of the things that bring me not only to cooking in my own home, but also that I find so compelling about, um, about professional chefs' work. And so... Um, it was a total joy to be able to bring my illustration to the project that way. And also because, you know, so many, so many food books are, um, are, are, are brought to life with photography. And so um, being able right. to illustrate this book um, to me felt um, personal in a different way and um, related to storytelling. And so, that was really important to me. Well, there, there's, I, I, I can't even list them all, but there are so many um, food people, um, chefs, writers, broadcasters, um, that actually the background is like in art history, uh, like Ruth Reichel and I both have an art history master's from the University of Michigan. And, mm-hmm. and isn't it? So there is a relationship, and and I know a lot Definitely. of restaurateurs that um, I mean they, their touch is designing the the ambience of their restaurants. I mean, and that's Absolutely. a visual mm-hmm. thing too. So well, um, you did a wonderful the, job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another person um, I love is Julia Tertian because you're talking about activists, and uh, I mean she is amazing what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there are a number of people who are uh, working right on the on the forefront of exactly. um, many relevant issues of our time. Leah Peniman is another that's included that comes to mind. Yeah, and uh, Lindsay, who do you hope will, will, will buy and read this book? Um, you know, I I truly believe that there is 
something in this book for everyone, um, whether they identify as a man or a woman. Um, I think that the book speaks to people on a number of different levels, not just women uh, involved in the food industry, but also home cooks. Um, so I really think there's something in here for everyone. Yeah, I keep turning over the page to Joyce. I haven't talked to her for a while. She's so wonderful, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I had a wonderful time with this book, and I hope that um, our listeners will search it out. Again, it's uh, Lindsay Gardner, who is the artist behind it, and I guess the, the concept behind it is hers, um, with essays, interviews, recipes, and more from 112 women in, in food. And it's called Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection. And that seems to be what it is across the board. And also giving pleasure <laughs> to other people. Generosity, Absolutely. I guess you call it. Well, good luck with this book. Um, and not good Thank luck you so for much. you that need the luck. You need success, much success with this book. Lindsay Gardner, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be here today. Great. Okay, listeners, that's all. Till same time, same place next week. We hope you'll listen to us then. And in the meantime, bye-bye. Let's go on with it. Yeah, well, uh, Lindsay Gardner, you you have so many talents, I don't know where to start. Uh, We're (laughs) talking about why we cook. Uh, women on food, identity, and connection. Uh, and you you did all the illustrations, and they are wonderful. So um, Thank and you, you are are you primarily an artist or a a, a, a food person or a um, what what hat, you wear so many hats? Which one are we going to call on? <laughs> um. Thank you for that question. I am primarily an artist and I'm not uh, part of the culinary world, um, though I feel like I have become um, hopefully a friend of the culinary community um, through this project. Um, But no, when I first started researching and writing Why We Cook, um, I really was sort of an outsider to that community of people. Oh, they're wonderful people. <laughs> I told you, I, mean, I know most <laughs> of them in the book and uh, or have interviewed them. Um, and, you know, and it's a wonderful group of people. How did you go about selecting who you were going to uh, talk to? You know, it was really um, a pretty organic experience. I, at the time, lived, uh, until recently, I lived in the Bay Area and, as you know, the Bay Area is just such a um, such a, a mecca of food-focused people and creative people. Um, I was lucky to have, within my sort of circles of friends, a couple of people who were able to introduce me to professional women chefs working um, in the area. And then I also had the opportunity to attend a great event at La Cocina in San Francisco that um, uh, I'm sure, as you know, uh, is an organization that supports low-income and immigrant women food entrepreneurs. Um, And so I got to see uh, a few of the people who are actually 
now included in the book speak at one of their events. Um, and really, uh, I also just did a whole lot of called, uh, cold calling and emailing, um, reaching out to women food writers, activists, restaurateurs, chefs, um, who I had read about or um, heard about. And so it was really a combination of sort of um, one person introducing me to the next and then my own research. Well, of course, I mean, it's such a wonderful community and very welcoming. Uh, I'm sure that that, that was probably I mean, the difference between uh, interacting with the wonderful female chefs as opposed to some of the uh, male chefs. It's like light years apart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I don't have experience with that. I only um, have, this is my only culinary focused project in my life so far. So, um, but yes, my experience reaching out to uh, the women in the book, (coughs) excuse me, was completely welcoming and, um, every person that I talked to couldn't have been more generous and more yes. enthused. Um, it was such a fulfilling experience. And especially working on it through um, the last year. But, oh, my gosh, excuse me, I'm having a cough. <laughs> a cough. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> cough is okay. We can edit it out. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> that has not happened to me before in this situation. Um, sorry about that. You can, we can edit no, that out. Don't worry about it. Okay. It goes along, it goes along with the phrase. It's not. It's not the coffin that carries you off. It's the coffin. It's the coffin they carry you off in. <laughs> in English um, humor, just in case you were wondering where it came from. I love it. Uh, what I was saying is that, especially through the last few years of our political environment. Um, and when I started the book in 2000, I started the, the research process in 2018. We, we were two years into the Trump administration. Um, and then, of course, working through the pandemic and also um, the racial justice uprising of 2020, um, all of these things were happening in the backdrop uh, yeah. as I was working on the book. And being in communication and in conversation with the women in the in the book throughout all of that time was extremely um, comforting and connected to the moment. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, the, the best group of, um, of, I guess, food people or the best was um, – we had a fabulous group of women chefs and restaurateurs in the early days of the organization. And uh, it was just absolutely the highlight of, of my experience in the food world. It was wonderful. And, they were, and they're even, they were even nice to the guys. They were nice to Peter. Was <laughs> the other there. No, uh, and it's I a, actually it's I think a, that... It's really um, interesting to be in a, a room full of people who are all female. Especially in this in this industry, I think. Um, oh yeah. And well, and Joyce Goldstein, who is one of the contributors, she's um, a good friend. <laughs> yeah, right. and she and she was uh, she was a big part of women chefs and restaurateurs. Oh yes, she was wonderful. She was mm-hmm. one of the founders. She and Lydia right. Bastianich and. Um, Oh, what's her name? Actually, she's dead now. 
um, who did the tour to China. I mean, it's just one after another. Um, but anyhow, so you have you have a fertile um, field of talent and um, thoughtful talent to work with. And I mean, the overall answer seems to always come down to your question why we cook for all these different women it has to do with uh, connection um, identity um, making people happy and so forth and so on but you approach that in a number of different ways let's talk about uh, the segments of your book you have you cover so much ground you have memorable meals kitchen portraits, essays. Tell us a little bit about each of these things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was really important to me to um, think of the book as a conversation. And so that I, I wanted someone to be able to pick it up and open it to any page and have a place to, to enter it and access it. So, um, it was important to me to include a, a great variety of types of content. So as you said, there are illustrated recipes, essays, profiles, um, a series of memorable meals, which are like short essays, um, as well as a series of kitchen profiles. Uh, and then yeah, also, what was that? that um, tell us what kitchen portraits is. Yeah, so it uh, kitchen. I love the women are, in the are, segment. That I, 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 <laughs> Renee Erickson, I love her. Dory Greenspan, Barbara Lynch, uh, Joyce. Um, who else is there? And Deborah Madison. Uh, they're they're all people that are just so thoughtful and and contribute so much. Yes. Um, so I thought it was really interesting because, as you just pointed out. Uh, some of those women that you listed are some of the more well-known voices in the book. And it was really important to me um, and interesting to me to think about what picturing them, illustrating them in the place that feels like where all the magic happens for them. Um, So it's not something I have seen a lot of um, in terms of seeing these people in their sort of, favorite place, which I imagine to be the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to include that series. And so there are, um, you know, basically it's like a, an illustrated portrait of each woman in her kitchen with a little bit, a little short profile about each one. Um, and it was really fun to make those portraits. Uh, I feel like getting to know them through researching them and um, in a few cases, like with Carla Hall, I, I actually had the opportunity to interview her, and that helped me imbue so much of uh, each person's personality into their portrait. And I, I did, I had the chance to visit um, Joyce Goldstein in her home and interview her, and so really felt like um, sort of, uh, I don't know, illustrating that friendship also. Yeah, well, you did a nice little portrait of her. It's cute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, no, you, you also uh, hit uh, um, people that I don't know, home cooks and conversation, um, but you framed interesting questions that they would address in short replies. Um, the way mm-hmm. I have it here is like, um, what is your most treasured 
kitchen objects, um, what season makes you excited to cook, and when do you cook when you're exhausted? I mean, these are wonderful questions. Thank you. Um, you know, as I said, I'm not I'm not part of the culinary world, and my uh, approach to this topic is from the standpoint of a home cook. Um, and it was really important and at the root of my own inspiration for making the book to sort of incorporate the real voices of women home cooks because as I um, discovered through my survey, uh, over, I think it's about 90% of the women I surveyed um, do the majority of cooking in their home. Um, mm-hmm. So that's still, you know, predominantly women are doing the cooking in the domestic space. And um, at least from my own experience and talking with my uh, peers, I know that that's not a straightforward relationship. Like, we don't always want to be cooking. And that's, even if we love to cook, <laughs> it's okay to not love cooking all the time um, or even part of the time, you know. And I, I really wanted to talk to women about how they feel about it and what it looks like in their day-to-day lives. Um, so that's where those questions came from. And uh, I, I could have picked, I think I had almost 400 people um, take that survey, and there were so many compelling and interesting answers um, and honest answers, and I thought that that was really important to include. Yeah, we, and they're not just American, let's point out that. I mean, there is, True, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. So um, Yeah, we and, had some people reply from internationally, and um, there are a few international contribu- uh, professional uh, women chef contributors as well, Anna Ross. Uh, and, yeah, Anna. Um, we've interviewed her before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and where were we when we, the last time we interviewed her? But anyhow, um, she's, she's very interesting. I mean, to come out of yeah. Slovenia. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, her work is really, truly um, well, intricate and amazing. It's, you know, they, their backstories are so interesting also because um, they've had to deal with so many issues. Um, I, I love this. Uh, one of my favorite people is Amanda Cohen, and, you know, and I loved her essay called The Invisible yes. Women. You know, I mean, it's not a new issue for me, but uh, she really made some really head-on points, didn't she? She sure did. And um, and I love that she wrote, so she wrote about um, how important the media and uh, coverage of women chefs is and becomes in terms of... Um, leadership opportunities and uh, investment and all kinds of issues that are related to that. And I love that she wrote about that um, and also about really remembering the women that have uh, paved the way. Yes. Well, I mean, there's so many of them and, and half of them you never hear of. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's true. I mean, it's, uh, I'm actually, this is a terrible period we're going through, um, but part of me is happy that we're going to reset um, this aspect of the celebrity chef, that we're all white males. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it got a little about that also. Yeah, <laughs> it really um, it got to be boring after a certain point, and the egos are just uh, enormous. Um, so bad that actually um, a, a chef friend of mine, male actually, um, he agreed to be on the board of one of the cooking competitions, and. Um, he said it was the worst thing he ever did because he had to have all these uh, students or, uh, or or startup chefs. And mainly, what they all wanted to do was be on television. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is an interesting thing, you know, how media has changed and um, social media and how that has impacted uh, our relationship to understanding who people in this industry are and how they operate. I mean, I think, you know, that's a whole other conversation we could have. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah now, who was it you were interviewing? Uh, I remember, oh, what's her name? Um, anyhow, but she got the world's best chef. This is not Anna, it's, 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 um Dominique Crenn. And mm-hmm. her restaurant did not make it into the top, 100 that year. <laughs> we yeah. used to cover the, the yeah. uh, World 50 right. Best Restaurants, and it was so predictable. You know? <laughs> it's like, right. Right. You've got you to keep women in their place, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Women's places in the kitchen. Um, the, the, one, the one you remember most, although you conveniently forget, is the lady from Croatia. If you remember... Oh, we, she, she, she was best female chef in in Melbourne, sweetheart. You remember? You're thinking of um, uh, Anna Rose, and she's from Slovenia. Slovenia, okay. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. Anyway, she 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 was bound and determined to show that women were best. Uh huh. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Well, she she's included it here too. Um, let's not forget to include that you have an addition to talking about issues um, and talking about backgrounds and, and lifestyle. You actually have recipes. <laughs> yes, there are 11 that. recipes. <laughs> yeah, there are 11 <laughs> recipes in the book. Um, and uh, I loved working with the contributors on uh, figuring out how they were and what they were going to include. Um, some of my favorites are uh, by, I mean, they're all wonderful. Um, I loved learning about Ashley Shanti's work. Uh, she's a chef in North Carolina um, who's actively working on restoring West African uh, and um, foodways of Appalachia. Um uh-huh. So she has a recipe for cabbage and wild mushroom pancake with a yeah, salt that. sauce. <laughs> That's yeah. right at my alley. <laughs> but, uh, right, and she. So that's a great one. Um, there's also Hillel Echo Hawk, who has included a recipe for um, buffalo and sage meatballs. She's an indigenous chef from Seattle. Um, it's a really nice range of different kinds of recipes. There's one sweet a couple of sweet recipes um, from Mimi Mendoza and Elizabeth Binder. Um, so, yeah, there's a nice full range. 
Yeah, I mean, you you really have a whole um, resource on diversity in this book. Was one of the things that I I thought about. Um, it was a big goal of mine from the beginning um, to be uh, as inclusive as, as I possibly could because I really wanted to hear, you know, from as many different voices uh, as possible and not just the ones that have, you know, received coverage and um, are well-known names, but also some of the lesser-known names who are uh, just starting out. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, let's talk a little bit about your artwork. Did you find sure. it very inspirational to be drawing these things or illustrating these things? Of course, your portraits are wonderful. Oh, thank you. And I know you're a painter also, aren't you? Am I what? She's, I thought you were also a painter. a painter. I'm sorry. You I mean, are a painter. Oh. Oh, I was, I was a painter. <laughs> I, just, was I, was, a painter. I read that you were a painter, yes. Um, um, I actually, I, that was my um, my graduate degree was in art history with related field with painting, you're right. Yeah, we, are, we are fake so, designs and all, all, all kinds of fine artists. <laughs> lost, our walls are crowded. That's a great thing. I'm looking, I'm looking here. Okay, let's say Rosio Sanchez, very famous mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, chef. That is absolutely wonderful, this, um, what it's called, paleta. Uh, it's like a popsicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a popsicle with, with flowers coming off. So it's, it's beautiful, a little kind of sun symbol on the stick. So, I mean, it was, um, yeah, kind of to rewind a little bit, uh, it was a huge part of my inspiration from the beginning of this project um, because at, at, in the early phases, I was really thinking a lot about um, the crossovers between my creative impulse as an artist and cooking. And, um, of course, all of the things that bring me not only to cooking in my own home, but also that I find so compelling about, um, about professional chefs' work. And so... Um, it was a total joy to be able to bring my illustration to the project that way. And also because, you know, so many, so many food books are, um, are, are, are brought to life with photography. And so um, being able right. to illustrate this book um, to me felt um, personal in a different way and um, related to storytelling. And so, that was really important to me. Well, there, there's, I, I, I can't even uh, list them all, but there are so many um, food people, um, chefs, writers, broadcasters, um, that actually the background is like in art history, uh, like Ruth Reichel and I both have an art history master's from the University of Michigan. And, and, mm-hmm. and isn't it? So there is a relationship, and and I know a lot Definitely. of restaurateurs that um, I mean they, their touch is designing the the ambience of their restaurants. I mean, and that's Absolutely. a visual mm-hmm. thing too. So well, um, you did a wonderful the, job. Oh, <laughs> oh another person um, I love is Julia Tertian because you're talking about activists 
And uh, I mean, she is amazing what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there are a number of people who are uh, working right on the on the forefront of exactly. um, many relevant issues of our time. Leah Peniman is another that's included that comes to mind. Yeah, and uh, Lindsay, who do you hope will, will, will buy and read this book? Um, you know, I I truly believe that there is something in this book for everyone, um, whether they identify as a man or a woman. Um, I think that the book speaks to people on a number of different levels, not just women uh, involved in the food industry, but also home cooks. Um, so I really think there's something in here for everyone. Yeah, I keep turning over the page to Joyce. I haven't talked to her for a while. She's so wonderful, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I had a wonderful time with this book, and I hope that um, our listeners will search it out. Again, it's uh, Lindsay Gardner, who is the artist behind it, and I guess the, the concept behind it is hers, um, with essays, interviews, recipes, and more from 112 women in, in food. And it's called Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection. And that seems to be what it is across the board. And also giving pleasure <laughs> to other people. Generosity, Absolutely. I guess call it. Well, good luck with this book. Um, and not good Thank luck you so much. that needs a luck. You need success, much success with this book, Lindsay Gardner. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be here today. Great.